not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and today we're talking about world events, the humanitarian crisis, and the war between Hamas and Israel in Gaza and how it can have exponential negative effects and what we can do about it. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And while Dr. Luckman is a clinical psychologist, she's not yours. So we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. And this is the reason that I wanted to chat with Dr. Lockman specifically on this topic. Daughter to two Holocaust survivors, she is a celebrated clinical psychologist with a strong voice in the realm of self-esteem and relationships and is one of the three most read writers at Psychology Today. In addition to her clinical work, Dr. Lockman is a consulting psychologist working extensively with New York City firefighters, honing her expertise in trauma since the events of 9-11, which leads us to our topic today. With two wars being waged overseas, we are left, many of us, feeling that same trauma, terror attacks, innocent victims, seeing horrific photos, videos, and more. And while ultimately the show is rooted in health and science, we cannot be healthy if we are stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, traumatized, living in fear for our lives or the lives of others. And so we're here to denounce anti-Semitism and denounce Islamophobia and hopefully help you listeners process some of the feelings that we're all having and also identifying some solutions for the negative energy that is increasing all around us. So Dr. Lachman, welcome to The Whole View and thank you so much for being being willing to have this conversation. I'm a little tongue-tied because it is stressful. I mean, you and I even did a pre-chat before the show because we wanted to make sure that we were on the same page and we don't want to get into the politicalness of this. It's, it, it is driving so much negativity yes. all, all around us yeah. that it just felt impossible to not talk about it right. with listeners and what we could do. So right. I'm wondering if maybe you can share what you hope listeners can take away from today and a little bit about yourself in that context. One issue that's been coming up more and more frequently is when I see a patient and they've struggled with something, especially now, they'll say, well, what I'm feeling is nothing compared to what's happening over there. So therefore, who am I? And my response is, you can only be in your own skin and you can only be where you are and you can only be who you are. So it's not your fault that you're not in Gaza right now or that you're not fighting in the Ukraine right now, that you're here. Your pain matters as much as anyone else's. It's happening where it's happening and it has nothing to do with anyone else and it doesn't hurt anyone else for you to be in pain. And I think one of the phrases I've come to use so often with my teenagers is 
people sometimes just need to hear your feelings are valid, right? Like they're not invalidated by the fact that someone else has a more traumatic thing, however that's defined, happening to them, right? Like we can be, I'm an incredibly empathetic person and I think I take on emotions that are around me. And if I consume social media and I see horrible stories, photos, videos, right? Like I think of the collective trauma as a society we all experienced in the wake of George Floyd. Like there is so much that happens and we saw the waves of how the world changed and people became aware of things as a result of that. And I want to give people the space to have those feelings because they are valid and learning and being open allows for change and improvement going forward. As does hope. Exactly. And there is, I would like to think there is hope, but I think a lot of us are feeling hopeless and overwhelmed right now. How do you say to someone who just comes in, I think even the worst feeling is numbness, right? Like this feeling of complete hopelessness is, we call it the bottom of the shame ladder, right? Like it's just, you're in this dark pit And there's just, it seems like it's impossible to get out of sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, as someone who is a daughter of two people who survived the Holocaust and have been working with 343 firefighters were lost on 9-11. So the rest, been working with them since then. And history does repeat itself. And we are all fortunate enough, relatively speaking, to have not lived through the Holocaust. So what, but what they experienced was as horrific as what's happening now. If you read in history about all of the atrocities that have occurred, at the time they occurred, this is what they felt like. So this is not new to the human race. When you look at that from in an attempt to take a step back, it can, at the very least, help you get in touch with the fact that humankind is resilient and that we will get through this. It doesn't mean it's not gory and horrible and there are no words for what we're all enduring in our different ways that we're enduring it. But as, again, as somebody who's the daughter of two two Holocaust survivors, I've seen my parents, my father's 94 and my mother is 87 now, come from an experience where they were both terrorized by the Nazis and were able to escape and make a life in America not without enduring anti-Semitism. However, early on, America was quite anti-Semitic, and we do see that still, just like we see Islamophobia. And with firemen, to have watched the evolution after something as grueling, and most of us have lived through 9-11, whether you were 6 or 16 or 60, that's an event that sticks in our minds, the visual of it is not dissimilar to the visuals we have now. And I'm sure there are visuals that you have 
that are so clear of those towers falling, of losing people. So the visuals that we have now, they're going to stay with us and they're going to be in our heart. And the way that I describe it is it's like an emotional amputation that we are all experiencing. But anyone with an amputation learns to live with it. That's life. And as, as far as hope goes, uh, I'm of the belief, Stacy, and uh, I think we're defining the same thing in a different way. To me, hope, if you lose hope altogether, it's because you're at the end of your life and you're ready to die. Otherwise, it's not, hope is a life force. What happens to it, though, is it becomes obscured. You can't access it during periods of great despair, but it's there. It's waiting for you to find your way back to it. It may come in a different form. For example, in talking about a loss, at first, you're hoping that you won't lose that person. And then you're hoping that how they left this world was peaceful enough and that they're free now of pain and suffering and in a better place. And then hope turns into how do I go on? Because I have to. I hope that I can find ways. And I will find ways because here I am. Here everyone is right now listening to you. So we're all here and that there's a resilience to that. I love the word resilience. And when you were talking about hope, I'm such a cliche of a zenial. I'm like on that cusp of Gen Z and Gen X. And we all live and breathe by the never ending story. And I don't know. I know you have, we were talking, you have a child beforehand. So hopefully you've seen the never ending story, but you know how at the end of the first movie, she gives him a pearl and like everything is falling apart. The world is caving in and, you know, he's feeling hopeless. And she's like, but here I have this one little piece of hope to give you. And ultimately the imaginary world is rebuilt and, and all these things. And so I, it was a like a really strong visual for me when you were talking. Mm -hmm. I think the other like thing that gets me is when you were saying the word visual, it struck me too how very different 9-11, the wars right now, even when JFK was shot, like the which was like a defining thing for my mother's generation, right? So like everybody always asks, where were you when this happened? Kind of thing. And I'm thinking about them and like, if you think back to times before that, you don't really have the same visual. You weren't like watching a parade happily and then something negative happened or you weren't on your social media seeing recipes, seeing people try on clothes, seeing people decorate their house. And then all of a sudden you're seeing images of war and destruction. And so while the internet allows us to learn more and to be engaged and to 
fight things like anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, it also presents that information in a way that previous generations haven't had to face. You're talking about your parents. My grandfather, he died in his 90s. He fought in two wars. He fought in the Korean War and World War II. And he would tell stories of how when their inventory of wine came in, that the entire ranks would get inebriated in order to have enough bravery to cross into enemy lines. Yes, liquid courage to cross into enemy lines and bring people into the safe zone who would be at risk otherwise. And he would tell these stories to us before I was even old enough to understand like what he was telling me. Yes. Like, like, and so to think now that he is not here, he would be horrified to be able to physically see what is happening and to think of himself in that same scenario of people not able to cross into safe zones and all these kinds of things. And so what can we, as these visuals are bombarding us, as these things are overwhelming us, what do you suggest to people who are feeling not hopeless, but overwhelmed, right? Like what can we do when these things come up to help us process in a more productive way? When you mentioned your grandfather sharing stories, my first thought was, I'm really glad he was talking about his experiences. How many people of older generations came home and suffered in silence? So props to him for sharing of himself and telling stories that were both heroic and painful. And there is to this, we need to follow his lead that And I saw this with the evolution of, I call them my firefighters, and I will always call them that, the evolution. The more we talked about the events as they were ongoing, and, and in certain ways they still are, but the more that things are discussed, not from the perspective of who's right and who's wrong, but just as often as possible from the perspective of how is this making you feel and what are you wishing for those in the hostages and and those trying to escape it's the most powerful tool we have is the ability to communicate and it really does over time dilute the power of the pain. I love that idea. I And I think listeners who are listening to the show today are hopefully taking that one step. But I wonder too, I talk about these things with my kids because they're seeing them on social media. My kids are older. How would someone go about having this conversation with a younger child, say between six and 12, right? Like old enough to understand war and bad things, but not wanting to, because I know as parents, we always want to protect our children. But I also believe firmly that for the resilience that you're talking about, we have to teach them that they don't live in a bubble, right? So it's like, how do you introduce bad things are happening and 
for example, volunteer Red Cross events together? Or like what other things might be helpful for parents specifically with younger children around this? Well, that's a tough one. My first thought was, I know that at my son's school from the time that he was, I only have one, from the time that he was in kindergarten through his senior year, there are shooter drills. I'm imagining that there are shooter drills at the schools of a lot of the kids that parents are listening to here right now. And so right from early on, I know when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a shooter drill. The strangest thing was happened that happened was one time when there was a loud noise outside of, of a classroom, our English teacher dove under the desk and we were all like, why do you do that? And it was because he had served in the Vietnam War. That was the extent and fire drills, of course. Later came bomb threats, but there was never actually a bomb. All of that has started to change, and shooter drills in particular have alerted kids because of the extreme nature of what they're taught, that their safety is something to be safeguarded. School is a place where children spend the majority of their time, and shooter drills happen relatively often. So I think in a way that's a good starting point for a lot of people who might be not quite sure how to address this. If you start with, do you know what, what's happening? Do you know what this is for? Do you know why you're doing this? And there are parents, and I think this is a perfectly fair thing to do too, who would rather not have these conversations with their kids until their kids come to them. Kids, in many ways, kids deserve the chance to live in a bubble. And again, it's not our fault that we have our two greatest allies are the Atlantic and the Pacific. Uh, it's harder overall here for, well, with the exception of guns. <laughs> but even so, the best that we can do is hope that our children are prepared for those kinds of situations. But other than that, we want them to have fun and to feel free. And one of the things, and there's no way that anyone can ever address, uh, there's no words for how horrific it is to lose a child. But one thing that I will comfort parents about, uh, or when somebody loses a friend out of the blue, that the best thing that we can hope for them was that they woke up that day and had no idea that they were going to lose their life. I think that makes a lot of sense and pulling into the idea of safety from something that they've experienced in a different sort of way. And I will say last year was a tipping point for my children. I don't know if it was the same way for younger school age children, but there was 
so many school shootings that they were to a point where they were concerned about their safety going to school. And so I think being able to talk to children from a perspective of safety and it is sad that someone might not feel safe where they are. And if they want to process those feelings, you're available like that. Yeah, that makes sense and can help them relate on a more personal level. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I really want to address always with my children is to be advocates for others. My children are extremely privileged in that three of my four children are white males and they have the opportunity to speak up or speak for people who might not feel that they have a voice or who are feeling marginalized. And I know one of the things that we've talked about are microaggressions or different sort of things that might be happening in their world around them to people who are Muslim or who look Arab or people who are proudly Jewish or any of the things that might be happening in school. And I have a very good friend who has children in high school in Florida who received bigotry and hate her Jewish children. And she was like, I cannot believe in this day and age that this is happening right now. And I think when I was reading articles and research about this, there have been, I was shocked at the statistics, honestly, over the 30-day period since Hamas attacked Israel, 315% increase in anti-Semitic incidences, including assault, vandalism, specifically at schools and colleges, like not, not just on the internet, someone says hate speech, like these are physical acts of harm and violence and threats to people's physicalness. And there's also a precedented surge in bigotry towards Muslim anti-Arab bias with a 216% surge over the same period, which was already heightened in the country from post 9-11 and, and from a U.S. perspective, right? Yeah. So with this hate spike, like as a parent, knowing that my children have more opportunity with the people that they're in, I, I work from home, I'm on the internet, it's there's not very many people that I'm interacting with. Of course, if I see something weird at the grocery store or something, like I, I advocate and speak up, but they have an opportunity with so many diverse cultures around their school. I want them to understand, like, there's a scary thing happening. It's not here. You're safe here, but it might not be safe for somebody else here if they're being targeted and harassed or something. And like, to make sure that they know, okay, here's what you can do. If you don't want to like be a rat and call a teacher over in that moment, like let's come up with a plan if you see something so that you can say something, right? Or, you know, just go stand by this person because bullies always pick on someone who's not with other people because they can't take on more than one, right? Like different kinds of things like that. But I'm wondering how, in your experience, some of these best ways to go about if you are on the internet and you see something bad, what do you do? Do you say something? Do you not engage the trolls? Like, <laughs> there's so many of us that are like, I don't even know what to do or where to start, right? My first thought there was the frontal lobe does not fully form until the age of 24. 
and the frontal lobe, or even 26 with males in particular. Sorry, guys. But the frontal lobe is where it's the evolution of the awareness of consequence. So in a way, it's less, there's, there's hope because what you're seeing there is people who are not yet evolved enough to understand their actions. Certainly, you want your child to know the difference between right and wrong when they go off to college, when they're in school in general. But for those who may be more triggered or angrier in general, doing things like being a, a synagogue or a mosque uh, or a school, the awareness is not yet fully there. It's the one thing that we all, it's where our executive functioning is in the frontal lobe. It's so it's no other animal has this ability. And that's why it takes so long to form. And that's why your kids do more stupid things and more impulsive things and more ill thought out things when they're younger and even into their 20s. And by the time they get a little bit on the other side of their mid 20s, they've figured out that a lot of what they were doing isn't necessarily what they want to do now. So there's hope there. You brought up George Floyd before. What I noticed and what I'm sure you noticed is unlike the days when Black people would march and it was only Black people marching, Black Lives Matter became a movement that, if you looked, was full of color, was full of difference, is so much more expansive that it's rather moving in that way. To see how the world has shifted, even when you see the protests, among the hundreds of thousands of people marching against anti-Semitism and the hundred who were marching on Washington or the and the hundreds of thousands who were marching for the safety of the Palestinian people in, stuck in the middle of this. There are so many people like you and me who can identify with both sides. With that said, the trolls, they're just looking for attention. As I've gotten older, I've realized that happy people don't want other people to be unhappy, right? And so one of the things that I try to remind everyone of, especially my children, but even my adult friends who are feeling like, oh, this neighbor friend said this thing to me and it hurt my feelings. Like, okay, well, do you think that's really about her or do you think that's about you truly? And so when I think of trolls and it being a dude in someone's mom's basement, like that person likely isn't happy with their own life. Mm -hmm. 
and is then looking for ways to bring others down with them instead of if you think of a happy person or a successful person, most of them are lifting other people up. Most of them are I think about all of the celebrities who are very philanthropic or who who want to do good things for others. Yeah, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Swifty for sure. But yeah. no, I think that's a good point. One of the things that's just really tough for me right now is my children get so much misinformation on TikTok about that's- the war, but also like they one of my children swore to me that Heller Keller wasn't real because oh. it like went around TikTok and I it was like a waste of an evening. Yeah. Proving that was incorrect. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the adult version of, of TikTok is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because we know where to go. For kids, I wouldn't necessarily direct them there. But it's also kids are not Twitter people. Um, generally. Yeah. My kids are on Reddit, which is it, it, its own version. But okay. I, I will say one of the things that I like to leave listeners with some positive actionable suggestion that they can take whether it be for themselves or for others Mm -hmm. what would you suggest no matter how someone is feeling if they're looking for hope or if they're currently feeling overwhelmed like what are some things people can do today to not be feeling so like lost in the that's happening there and it's bad and there's nothing I can do feelings. Yeah. Well, first of all, to know that they're not alone. We're, when collective trauma like this happens, we're all, in a way, ro- walking around like robots. So that's one important thing to realize. It, and that you can find others. Social media, again, if it's, with your kids, it's something you want to guide. And if it's for you, you can find support groups uh, for anything. And it's very comforting to know that there are like-minded people out there. One thing that you use the word happy before, and I, I like the idea, well, to me, happiness is elusive. You don't necessarily know when you feel it sometimes until after it's happened. The way that I think is useful is to look at things is, do I feel better today than I did the day before or do I feel worse? And if I feel better, that's a good thing. Even if what's happening in the rest of the world is horrific, whether or not I feel better or worse, is not hurting, it's not helping or hurting anyone else. So you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, always. And and often people feel guilty or selfish at that notion. But there really truly is a reason that's what you're advised to do on a plane. And it's the little things. Little things mean a lot. It's very easy to discount small gestures. Like if you're stopped and there's a lady selling flowers standing there on the highway 
and you buy one that's really meaningful for that person over time that becomes a chain reaction so that's there's another thought i had but this is a tough one but it's still an important one if it's the war yes the wars are in the background at all times no question for everybody 911 is still in the backgrounds for people other atrocities are still in the background for people but if there's hap- something happening in the moment whether it's to your child or to you the most important thing that you can tell yourself or tell your child is this too shall pass there really is no more true statement than that. We cannot help what's already happened. We can only go forward. And any pain that you have, know that you will get better. You will be okay. Because you always are. Somehow you make it. No matter how much pain you've been through, you're still here and you're still trying. How do we know you're trying? Because you're listening right now. You and I are such yin and yang because I am such a like solution-minded person. I'm always the problem solver. One of the things that I have to do always is pause and make sure that I'm listening and validating people's feelings before I move into the, now, would you like me to listen or would you like me to help you solve this problem mode? And I think for me, when I hear like, okay, what are some things that I can do? I always want to jump to the actions, but I think it is super important what you just said, which is just like sitting with some of those emotions and saying, it's okay that I feel this way. And I'm also allowed to feel other emotions mm-hmm. and inevitably will feel other emotions. I, right. And to not be guilty about some of those emotions being positive or experiencing good things in life. I think. <clears throat> A lot of what I'm seeing on the internet is how could you be doing or thinking or feeling X? There's terrible things happening to people. And I think we all need to give ourselves some grace. Like there's only so much an individual person, not part of the government, not part of the decision making process can do. Like if you want to advocate, if you want to fundraise, if you want to donate, if you want to give blood, if you want to do these things, if that helps you feel like you are doing something positive, great. And at the same time, I used all of those things for so long as a way to avoid the actual feelings that I needed to be sitting with a little bit more. And so I I like that there's a balance between us and what I think and I hope a lot of people can take away, which is that you can't just do all the things in order to avoid what's happening and what's feeling. And you can't just like sit in the negative feelings, right? Like we, there has to be some sort of progress in how we process things. And then sometimes they, it's okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say like, there's waves, there's cycles of them, right? Like it's going to come back. Yeah. it's also it's okay to 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 be still. You don't have to be doing any something at every minute. That's I have a 
number of articles on the idealized self versus the actual self. But if you sit down and you watch a TV show or you watch 10 TV shows, that's what you needed to do right then. That's okay. That was your escape. You needed that. You laughed. You cried. You got your mind on something else. It's okay that you didn't do the laundry. Nobody's gonna, nothing's gonna fall apart because of that. It's okay if the meal isn't prepared and you're gonna order pizza tonight because you needed a break. It's okay. It's okay. It's important to tell yourself, no matter what you're doing, unless you know it's a bad thing, that it's okay. I think that is an excellent place to just lay the mic down. I wouldn't say you, you're not throwing the mic. So you're sitting still with the mic. You're just, you're letting it down. <laughs> so listeners, yeah. yes. Sorry, did you have something else you wanted to say? No, I think we have covered it. I think you've Thanks. come around to <laughs> a little more to my side of the fence and <laughs> visited me over here. And I'm enjoying that. And hopefully your audience is too. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to keep in touch, which I highly recommend, the best way to do that is to reach out to Dr. Suzanne at SuzanneLockman at gmail.com. And her name is spelled in the show, but we'll put everything in the show notes for you. Her website and LinkedIn is another great way to connect with her. Um, We'll put all of those kinds of things in the show notes for you. And I want to also let you know that we put a couple of references, news articles to the statistics and different things that we shared today in the show notes as well. And I want to thank you for your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal change and listening to the show because no one's perfect, but in listening and learning and unlearning, which we're all doing together, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves. And I hope that this has provided you with some tools to take forward and feel better yourself and with others. And Dr. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining today. I know my my husband, Matt, when I told him we were recording the show, he's like, that's very brave of you to take that on. And I was like, is it though? It's the conversation that we all need without it being divisive and agitated like we I think we can all come to this compassionate ground, I think, which you referenced earlier. So thank you so much for being that voice of reason for us today. Glad to do it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.